Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live in the Washington, D.C. area, Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And we are actually running a remote today because we are in isolation because of COVID-19. Yes. But still, we've got a lot of technology going on. We do. Today. Oh, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to talk about what it means to have an exponential increase in the number of COVID cases. I'm going to go through the mathematics of contagion to show you why people are recommending that we go into social social isolation. I'm also going to be talking about uh, Stratford University's response to COVID-19, how we went remote, and how we use technology to protect all of our employees. Then I'm going to give you five uh, companies that are providing remote access software free of charge during this time and talk briefly about some of the cyber risks that we're picking up with employees working remotely. This week, we're going to feature the man who developed the first, the first um, operating system for a multi-protocol router, William Yeager. Not now, the Bill Yeager. Was, no. A different Bill, Bill Yeager. Yeager it, it's a different Bill Yeager, yeah. He's from San Francisco. He developed the first packet switch multi-protocol router. Cisco took his design, and that's what they built the company on. And Bill Yeager's the guy that really got no money out of the deal. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Helen in Rockville, Maryland. Dear Doc and Jim, I've heard you talk about two-factor authentication for your important bank and email accounts. Can I enable it on my Amazon account? Because that's a high-value target with lots of credit card information. Love the show. Helen in Rockville, Maryland. Well, Helen, I'm glad you paid attention to two-factor authentication. That adds an extra layer of security to any online account. makes it difficult for someone to break into your account without permission. Once enabled, two-factor authentication will require anyone who tries to log into your account to have physical access to your mobile phone in order to log on, even if they know your password. And this is important for those of you out there that use the same password everywhere or to have your password as easily guessed. With two-factor authentication, it's very hard for somebody to steal your account. Now, if you shop on Amazon, you can easily enable two-factor authentication. Log on to your Amazon account, then hover your mouse over what they call account and lists. This is in the, uh, the browser version. And then click on your account. And then scroll down, and you'll see something called login and security. Click on that. Scroll down again on that window, and you'll see something called two-step verification. Click on that, 
and then you'll have to uh, put your password in again and log into the system because they don't want you to do this unless you prove that you are who you are. And then you have to give it your mobile phone number. They'll send a verification text to your phone number to validate that it's your number after you put in the number. Then after that, anytime you log into your Amazon account, you'll get a text message sent to your cell phone and with, a, uh, with, uh, with six digits. And then you simply put those six digits into your logon screen, and you're in. It's a very good idea, Helen. I'm glad you were listening to that. We got an email from Sue in Gaithersburg. Dear Tech Talk, I'm getting ready to turn over some files to another party, and I don't want him to know when these particular files were created. Don't worry, there's nothing illegal going on here. I just don't want the file creation date to become an issue. Is there a way to change the file's creation date in Windows 10? <laughs> I can't find it anywhere. Sue in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Well, Sue, Microsoft did not include a tool in Windows for directly modifying the date stamp on a file, unfortunately. But it can easily be done. There's a free utility called Bulk File Changer from Nearsoft, N-I-R, SOFT, and it makes it easy to change the creation date, the last modified date, the last access date on one or more files. You simply go to the download page, nearsoft.net, and then slash utility slash bulk file changer.html. I'll have that link. I'll have that link in my um, in my show um, outline when we post it on um, on Monday. Which or you can simply. I was going to say, which you can yeah. find at Stratford.University, uh, Stratford.edu, rather. And uh, and you go down to the bottom That's of the right. page there, and you can click on Tech Talk Radio, and it's got all of the show outlines. And since a lot of people are at home, Doc, it's probably a good time to tell them they can listen to all of your past shows there, too. That's right. I got every show that I've ever done up there. Some of them go back all almost all the way to, to the year 2000. We got like 20 years of shows up there. You could do a so tech... You can go back... You get a Tech Talk quarantine, right? A Tech Talk quarantine, yeah. There was one guy wrote in. He did a uh, he he went on Tech Talk vacation. He downloaded <laughs> a, a whole uh, you know you know whole you know several months worth of things, and, and he and he, he he listened to Tech Talk on his uh, trip. He loved it, and his wife hated it. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> you can you you can you can download this bulk file changer uh, from Nearsoft website. And then once you uh, and then what you you have a choice if you've got a 64-bit PC you want to download the 64-bit version. I'd say most PCs now are 64-bit. After the download is finished, it'll you click on the zip file. It'll open up a zip folder, and then and then you'll see a file called bulkfilechanger.exe. Click on that and run as administrator. And then you, a screen will come up and it'll say add the files you want to change, and it will. Put in the dates you want for those files to be changed to, and it will change them all in one swoop. So you can change them all, and everything will have the the date stamp that you want. So, best of luck with that, Sue, and I hope uh, hope uh, hope that works for you. We got an email from Bob in Maryland. Now Bob is uh, <laughs> now just a minute here. Bob Bob is a um, is, is a longtime listener. Yes, um, he's along to Bob in Maryland. He's written. He he listens to the show. Has a lot of good suggestions on profiles in IT. He does. He says, "Dear, uh, 
Dear Doc, Jim, and the ever-present and slightly amusing and slightly annoying Mr. Big Voice. <laughs> well, guess what? Listening to it, That's what we're going for, is slightly amusing and annoying. <laughs> yeah, combination, yeah. <laughs> As I was listening to another great show today on Leap Day, this was, this was on um, um, February 29th, I realized there might be someone else amusing for, for profiles in IT. How about Sandy Lerner? She co-founded Cisco Systems with her husband, and then they were booted out of Cisco in some kind of takeover. Then she started a makeup company called Urban Decay. <laughs> Urban <laughs> Decay, Bob in Maryland. Well, listen, Bob, Sandy Lerner was a great suggestion, and, and, and actually, turns out that Sandy Lerner and her husband sort of lifted all the Doc, you there? And the people who developed it really didn't get much out of it. And so your email prompted me to go back and feature uh, Bill Yeager uh, in today's Tech Talk, because he is one of the un unsung heroes behind that really critical technology. So thanks for that suggestion, Bob. Hey, Doc, for, for, a, second, email. for a second there was a blip in the communication, and you said that uh, Sandy Lerner had lifted something and then you dropped out. What was it that, that they that, – uh, is Sandy yeah. a man or a woman, first they, of all? They basically – it's a woman, and uh, and she and her husband they they were basically managers of the uh, network, the computer network there at Stanford, and all these networking protocols and routing protocols were developed by the technical staff at Stanford, and they started building hardware on the side, co-opting the technology that had been developed at Stanford, and uh, and Stanford ended up. Um, ended up uh, kicking them out almost. And so it was sort of a sordid beginning. And in the end, they got kicked out of Cisco. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to sort of go into that a little bit in the, in the profiles on IT a little bit more. Okay, cool. Okay, we got, a, we got an email from Mark in Richmond. Dear Tech Talk, what is the quickest way to delete browser cookies? Enjoy the broadcast, Mark in Richmond. Well, it's easy to do, Mark. You can open up any browser, and if you put, if you click on three keys, Control, Shift, Delete, hold those down at the same time, a window will come up, no matter what browser you're in, and that window will allow you can. It, it's a, a delete window. You can delete the cookies, or you can delete some cookies, and that's all you have to do. Just hit Control, Shift, Delete, and if you want, you can sim simply delete it. Now, now cookies are tiny files that websites place on your hard drive with the assistance of your web browser, and they go into a little cookie subdirectory. Now, these files are used for many purposes. They contain bits of information about your browser session, your preferences, and your login status and that. And so that's beneficial. It makes it, makes it surfing the web more convenient. They also track your movement around the web, uh, and they track where you've been. And that's what the spammers and scammers use. They love to track you around to see what you're up to. And so many times people really don't like it. So some people will just disable cookies on their browser, but that's not very convenient because then every time you go back to a particular, uh, you know, you, you, you set preferences on a website, it, it forgets it. And some websites won't even deal with you if, if you don't accept cookies. So a better compromise would be to accept cookies but configure your router so you automatically delete the stored cookies every time you close your browser. And that way, you don't have to do anything. Or you could periodically click Control-Shift-Delete and just 
manually delete them. We got an email from Doug in Wichita. I've got a two-year-old Dell laptop, and I use it to access the Internet. Now, the laptop connects directly to my modem via Ethernet. I don't like Wi-Fi for security reasons. The problem is that my Ethernet port on the laptop stopped working. It will no longer establish a connection. Everything else beside the Ethernet port seems to be working, though. Hmm. My question is, can I replace that bad Ethernet port on the laptop? Doug in Wichita. Well, you can, but it, you'll have to take it in and have it done. It'll be expensive, uh, probably not worth it in reality because of the expense. Just but get a new machine? option that you have. Yeah, I mean, it's no much cheaper option. You can get a an Ethernet port that plugs into a USB. Huh, okay. So you can get a US you can get a USB plug that'll plug in there and an Ethernet port is on the is on the backside. So, you know, I went on to Amazon, looked them up there. It's just a lot of them. What you want to do is you want to search for USB 3.0 to gigabyte Ethernet adapter. USB 3.0 to gigabyte Ethernet adapter. And you'll get a whole slew of them. They're all between fifteen and twenty dollars. And just pick one that's got a lot of ratings and, and it's you know four and a half stars or so, and you're going to be good to go. We got an email from John in Baltimore. Dear Doc and Jim, I just got a new iPhone, but I kept my old iPhone six because they were only going to give me eighty dollars for it. Yeah. How can I use my old phone for something useful? Do you, do you keep your old phones, Jim? Or I have all. I have my four, five, and six, and I use them in a Wi-Fi environment. I use them as um, you know. If people don't know I'm a traffic reporter on another radio station. I use it on an app called Five O Radio, which is basically police uh, and fire department communications that you would hear on a police scanner. Now you can hear them uh-huh. on the web, but this device, Five O Radio, lets me hear things that I wouldn't normally be able to hear and further distant communities. So, so yeah, I keep all of mine. Ah, How about nice. you? What do you do well, with yours? Well, I, 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 use it, I use it for surfing the web, but there are a couple of other applications you can use it for. You can use it for a security cam where you could, you could prop it up. It's a great idea. And you could, stream the, you could stream the video to a laptop or any laptop anywhere in the world. And I found another application that I've been playing with this morning as a metal detector. What? How do you do yeah, that? So think about that. I've, I've been well. Okay, first of all, let's talk about the security cam. Yeah, it's got to be. You, you have to have Wi-Fi it, first, right? You have to have Wi-Fi. Yeah. Okay. You, you, because you got you got no cellular connection, so it's it's purely Wi-Fi. You can always surf the web. So you're on, you're going to be on Wi-Fi, and you want to download a, a free application called Epic Cam, E P O C Cam, and this will send streaming video directly to any web browser. Now, you'll just have to make sure you're logged on to Wi-Fi, and then you'll jot down the IP address that the app gives you of the of the webcam, and you simply put that IP address into your web browser, and you can see all the, the images real time. So if you've got all these old iPhones, you can set up webcams all, you know, all over the place if, if you want. Mm-hmm. Now, this metal detector app, there's a – I mean, actually, I was kind of surprised, but there are sensors in these iPhones that are – and these smartphones that, that are there, and we don't really know much about them. And there is a metal detector there. So you can download and install an app called Metal Detector 4 Plus. And it was created by Alexander Ballyburden. 
Bally Burden. <laughs> Great it's name. Free? It's got no ads. Would you think Bally Burden? Uh, it's, yeah, I think that's a, so, I was that's a great is, name. I think you did it right, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, what you do is you just uh, bring up that app, and then you can turn up sensitivity, and it clicks up. I've been walking around my house de- detecting metal all morning. I mean, I was really surprised <laughs> at that little app. So so there you go. You Keep know? it away so, from your credit I mean, cards, so you know? It, it, Oh wait, it won't, it won't demagnetize thing. I'm, I'm being funny. No, it's so so you can, so you can put your iPhone at the end of a stick, and you could you could have like a metal detector there at the beach. Hey, that's another use for your selfie uh, stick, right? That's another use for a selfie stick, exactly. <laughs> you know that is right. That that would be a good use for a selfie because stick. Because how else you know, would you would hear it? Would you duct tape it to a stick? That would look really dumb, wouldn't it? That would look dumb. Yeah, the selfie stick would actually be a much a much better idea. So, but actually, I think the security cam is probably the best one. You could, you know, you could put it in the baby's room, and then if you're at work, or you could leave it around the house, and you could you could log into it from work from your browser. I, I think actually a security cam is a pretty good application. You could you could actually Listen, we somehow love, fix you could fix it to the front door so it would see who's at the door, couldn't you? You could do that. Yeah, you could you could probably put it anywhere but but you have to be able to plug it in so we could do like if you have a window on the door if you have a window on the door you could somehow mount it inside the window so it's inside the house yeah you could do that enough for my bright ideas i don't know whether (laughs) yeah i think that'd be that'd be a little bit awkward but uh i think you have to put it close to a plug (laughs) but it's um it's actually a, a pretty good application so anyway, I'm telling you, we love all your emails. Do. It makes the show really interesting. So uh, make certain you email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It is Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. You can learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. We'll be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. 
Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature William Yeager. They called him Bill. His friends called him Bill. He was an engineer. A uh, He was a, a software engineer, network engineer, and best known as the inventor of the first packet-switched multi-protocol router. Cisco licensed his software from Stanford for its first, first router operating system. Now, Bill Yeager was born June 16, 1940, in San Francisco. He got a Bachelor of Science in Mathematics from UC Berkeley. He got a Master of Science in Mathematics from San Jose State University. And he received a Ph.D. in math from the University of Washington in Seattle. But after getting his uh, Ph.D., he decided he wasn't going to stay in math. He was going to do something more practical, much to the chagrin of his advisor. So right after he graduated uh, from, uh, right after he got his Ph.D. in 70, he started working at NASA Ames Research Center. And uh, he wrote, as, and his job there, he wrote part of the Pioneer 10 and Pioneer 11 mission control operating systems. And he was actually, they were actually keeping track of images when they were, when they were going near planets. And he, and he wrote also a program that's sort of managing those images as they were being sent back. So he was there for about uh, five years working on uh, those mission control operating systems. Then in 75, he was hired by Stanford's Knowledge Systems Laboratory as a member of Dr. Elliot Leventhal's Instrumentation Research Lab. Now, Bill was responsible for a computer laboratory for biomedical applications of mass spectrometry, spect spectroscopy, where they Say would identify fast. rare disease. Yeah, <laughs> they was they would identify rare diseases from the gas chromatograph and mass spectrometer data. And so he was working on that as sort of the technical guy. And he created a program called Cleanup, which would extract, extract, extract spectra from that data. And it was later used by EPA to detect water pollutants. In 1979, because he was really quite a programmer, and he was really into standards, he wrote a file transfer program for serial lines, a TTY FTP file transfer protocol, and it was later developed into the Macintosh version of the Kermit protocol. So FTP is used for uploading files to the Internet. It was a standard protocol, and he was back right in the beginning at the developing of those protocols. And then the big event happened there at Stanford. Xerox Park, that would be the Palo Alto Research Center. They're the ones that did all the innovation on on uh, graphical user interfaces, on networking, on laser printers. They gave to Stanford some Alto workstations and Ethernet networking boards so they could network them together. It turned out the Alto workstations were so advanced, they had the graphical user interface with the mouse, that those were the model that Steve Jobs used when he brought graphical user interface to Apple, first with the Lisa and then with the, and then with the Mac. So that was his model. And he was lifting a lot of the technology from that Alto workstation. But then they had the Ethernet networking boards, and they were trying to hook the computers together with Ethernet. Now, 
Now, the Alto was really advanced, but it was the Ethernet technology that inspired the Stanford staffers. They wanted to connect all the computers. This networking, this was the – they wanted to connect everything. So Jaeger, he wrote a small routing program that would connect the computers in the medical center to those in the computer science department. And he would – and they were actually running different packet switch protocols. Then – once people saw this feasibility of routing packets around the, the Stanford campus, they created a multi-protocol router. They called it the Blue Box, and a lot of staff people worked on it. It turns out Bill wrote the software for it, and it was a multi-protocol router. The nickname was Ship of the Night. <laughs> Why do you think they would call it that, Jim? No idea. But I'm sure you're going to tell us. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, Ship of the Night. And why it did, why it was called Ship of the Night, was that it, it was operated because each of the protocols would operate independently. They, they, they were on the same hardware board running in the same software, but the protocols would run independently of each other and not interfere with each other. So it could root multiple protocols all over the place. So these different protocols would pass through the router like ships of the night. Now this software could, they were back then, they were routing the Park Universal Packet, the PUP, PUP. <laughs> they also were routing the Xerox networking system, XNX, as well as the newly invented protocol that's used on the internet now, internet protocol IP. You know, we've got TCP IP now. And they were also running a precursor to internet protocol called chaos.net. And it would run all four of these. And this and it and it ran beautifully. So it turned out that these things were these blue boxes, everybody wanted a blue box because then they could hook into the Stanford the Stanford University network and they could they could go all around. By the way, Stanford University, Stanford University Network, SUN, that's where the that's where Sun uh, Micro Microsystems. I didn't got know that. Name. Interesting. Yeah, Stanford University, Stanford, Stanford University Network. Now, so he also he was interested in really standards, so he developed that. That was the first thing he did, and that was just going like hotcakes there at Stanford. Then he worked on email clients, and he developed the Internet Message Access Protocol, IMAP. So like if, if those of you who log on to your email system and you can actually log on to the email client and you can look at the client directly, you can delete emails, you don't download them to your computers, you're using IMAP. Almost everybody now uses IMAP to connect to the Internet. Well, he invented IMAP because he's working on what they call the client-server protocol. And so he worked on developing those standards and developing those, those clients. He wrote the first IMAP server for Unix, and then he, later he wrote an IMAP Macintosh client, and that went under the first Macintosh machine. Now, here's the intrigue that was going on there at Stanford. Secretly, secretly, two people founded Cisco Systems in December of 1984. Len Bozak, who was in charge of the computer science department computers, and Sandy Lerner, who managed the Graduate School of Business Computers. 
So they were basically staff people running these networks. And they looked at this blue box that was just in demand. And they decided to build a company around the blue box that had been invented there at Stanford. So they started producing these blue boxes, you know, in a back room and, uh, you know, selling them. Right. And um, and so it was um, it was a big controversy there at Stanford because Stanford said, look, you're using uh, Stanford resources to, to launch your company. So they finally decided to come clean and they uh, they licensed the software that went into the multi-protocol router. This was the, the software that Bill Yeager wrote. This was the this was the this was the core piece of innovation in that. So they licensed it from Stanford. Uh, they paid them nineteen thousand dollars in cash, and agreed to royalties of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars plus product discounts. Yeager, who was one of these altruistic open source guys who believed that you should not benefit from developing technology for the world. You should give it to the world. He took his royalties. He got 80% of the royalties, and he gave it to his department. He kept nothing. Uh, he's, he's one of these, uh, a lot of the original people who developed the Internet, the open source protocols, the TCPIP, they really weren't seeking money. They were seeking a better way for the world to communicate, and that was sort of his motivation. So he stayed there at uh, Stanford until uh, 1995. He was there 20 years. And then he was hired by Sun Microsystems. Uh, by the way, the, the guy who wrote, who the guy who developed the main circuit board for the Blue Box, Andy Bechtelsheim, you know, he, he developed the main computer board for the Blue Box. He ultimately became a co-founder of Sun Microsystems. And so, um, and so you know, Bill, Bill knew him quite well, so he went to work for Sun. And he was CTO of the project JXTA. This is another standards project. It's called JXTA is Juxtapose. It's an open source peer-to-peer -peer communication system. So it's still a, another networking protocol standard. Then he he developed the uh, the security solution for Juxtapose. Then he led Sun's WAP forum. Now that was the wireless applications protocol. This was in the beginning of mobile phones, and they wanted to have a standard where all applications would follow the same standard. So they said, we got to create a standards for this. So they called it wireless application protocol called WAP. And then he wanted to coordinate the WAP forum with the Internet Engineering Task Force of the Internet as well as the World Wide Web Consortium as well as the Java standards. He was trying to bring all the standards together so they would interoperate. And he, he worked on that for quite a while. Now, during this period of time, he also invented iPlanet Wireless Services. And that was another IMAP mail server. It was actually a Java proxy that went between an IMAP mail server and either a WAP server or a web browser. So he was into networking standards from the very beginning. In 2003, Yeager and Jeff Altman established the Internet Research Task Force peer-to-peer -peer working group, and this is where you could bring companies together to form the standards. Bill served as working group chair until 2005. So there you go. Everything you would want to know about Bill Yeager 
best known as the inventor of the first packet-switched multi-protocol router. It was a blue box there at uh, Stanford, but they also called it Chips of the Night. Hope you're paying attention to what Dr. Scherzer is talking about because you can turn that into free lunch when we play the pop quiz coming up here on Tech Talk Radio. Heard every Saturday on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. You can find us on the web at federalnewsnetwork.com. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio. Doing good. Presented How you doing by Stratford University coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please sit down, and I want you to stay six feet apart because we are in social isolation now. You didn't even get the, the message. That means we can only get like three, only three people in the studio because it's oh, such a small room. You didn't get the message. We're doing, we're doing our best. You didn't get the message. They're all what remotely located. There's nobody in the studio. Oh, so that, those are people cheering from oh. all over the Washington area in separate, isolated locations. That is perfect. That is the perfect way to do we, that. We well, went, this is not simply a radio show. No, it's not. Yes, it is. What? Huh? Yes. <laughs> this is a classroom of the airways. And, of course, that means we have to do a program learning outcome assessment, and that's called the pop quiz. Right. If you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get two tickets to fine dining at one of our dining rooms. Now, earlier in the show, I talked about William Yeager. He, of course, was the inventor of the first packet-switched multi-protocol router. What is the nickname of that multi-protocol router? Today's question 
Well, pick up your device, clean it off first, and give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shores, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're playing Top Gun while quarantined in Canada, call us on the wild card line. 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Jerks. I think Mr. Big Voice is thinking of a different Bill Yeager. Yeah, I think I think he might be thinking of a different different Bill Yeager. Yeah. Listen, I want to talk about the pet peeve of the week. Uh-oh. This really There's got only on my one? nerves this week. You only have one? There's only one pet I only have one pet peeve this week. No, and it really got on my nerves. I was working on a big project with some guys and they kept hijacking the email subject line. So I would send them an email say about topic A. And then a little bit later, they would take that email that had topic A in the subject, and they would write another email back to me about topic B. <laughs> and so when I would try to find topic B then, I couldn't find it because it had a topic A. Ah. You see? So that yeah. is the problem. So that's the problem. So you're trying to deal with one one issue, and they're changing the, the discourse. That- that's right. Yeah, and that's frust- not good. Now I'm, I'm getting a delay. Now I'm getting about a ten. I'm getting a ten second delay. You are, interesting. Yeah. Well, this. We'll just, why don't we? Why don't we go to? Uh, we we actually you t- tell you what we we've got somebody. What we'll do here is we're gonna we're gonna take uh we're gonna do the pop quiz here and see if it clears up. All right. So we're gonna bring the music down just a little right. bit, and we're gonna go to line two. Hi there. Who are we speaking to? Hello there. Who are we speaking to? Hello. Hi. Yeah, we got you. This is Ken. Ken, how are you doing today? Hi. Good. Dr. Shirts, if you would go ahead and ask Earlier in the show, I was talking about William Yeager. He was the inventor of the first pack-a-switch multi-call router. What was the nickname of that router? Ships in the Night. That is correct, and we have correct. a winner. Very good. Hang on a second, Ken. We're going to send you back over to Andrew, and Andrew's going to take your information, and we'll send the prize right out to you. It is Saturday morning. You are listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. On the web, you can find uh, us at federalnewsnetwork.com, and you can find Stratford University at stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University. This is Tech Talk Radio. Dr. Richard Schertz, we have a bit of a delay on the line there, but you are there, so continue on, sir, if you would, please. I, I, I am here. Now, Now, Jim, yes, sir. I call, I, if I call back in, I think I can clear it. No, just let's just do this. Let's just continue on to the next break. Do an item here, then we'll clear then, then we'll clear the line, okay? Do an item, we'll take a break, and then we'll re- reset the line. How does that sound? Okay. All okay. right. All right. So let's look at coronavirus math, and it looks bad. I'm going to try to explain what exponential growth means. Now, to further understand exponential growth, you take the number of confirmed cases of the virus, multiply it by 10, because 90% of the people don't haven't been detected, and 10% have been detected. Or if you believe Harvard or, or the Massachusetts General Estimates, you multiply it by 50. It turns out that in the world, the number of cases doubles every three years, every three days. Every, no, the number of infected people doubles every three days. So that means if you want to go out 30 days, you multiply it by two ten times. And that will tell you what the number of cases are in your area in 30 days. So I'm a, I took an actual example here. Okay, I live in Fairfax, Virginia, Fair, Fairfax County. As of March 21st, 2020, there were 16 confirmed cases of COVID-19. So that means that there are actually 160 individuals infected in the county. So that would be, as of yesterday, 160. So then we go the three days later, it would be 320. And then we go three days later, it would be 640. We go three days later, it would be 1,280. So if we go all the way out, the 30 days, I would be multiplying 160 by 2 10 times. So that means that in 30 days, we would have 163,000 cases. That's 16% of the population of Fairfax County. Now that assumes that we don't do any social isolation to slow it down. 
Now, if we do social isolation, uh, we could slow it down, and maybe instead of doubling every three days, it would double every six days, or maybe double every nine days if we're really good. But let's play this thing out a little bit further. Remember I said we'd have 163,000 cases in 30 days. What happens when we go to 39 days? Well, if that would be we multiply that number by 8. Because it would be additional 9 days, which would be 3 by 3 by 3. So if you multiply 163,000 by 8, it means in 39 days we'd have 1.3 million cases in Fairfax County. That's the entire population. That's why they are worried about it. If we don't slow the growth, this exponential buildup will just take off. Because look, from 30 to 39 days, it went from 168,000 to 1.3 million. That's exponential growth. And I just wanted you to see what the numbers were like. Now, here's the problem that they're worried about. 15% of those cases need hospitalization. Now, on average, 65% of the beds are already occupied by other patients who don't have coronavirus. And some hospitals are at 90% capacity. So the number of beds available at the local hospital is about 35% of the total number of beds. And so the example I just gave for Fairfax County, we would exceed the number of beds that are available in Fairfax County. That is exactly the problem that occurred in, in, in Italy. And if you cannot treat that 15%, that results in a higher death rate. That's why Italy had uh, the... They, they they had a six like I think a six or eight percent death rate. That is the problem. That is exactly why we have to have socialize social isolation. Now there are even more problems. Uh, most hospitals only have forty or fewer ventilators, and five percent of the patients need some sort of ICU treatment. And most of those require a ventilator. So in Italy, they ran out of ventilators. And the people that needed it didn't make it. So that is the big problem. Too many patients, not enough beds, a serious shortage of ventilators, masks, and other equipment. So it is absolutely essential to slow the exponential growth. And we can do that. I mean, this doubling every doubling every three days is basically not doing anything. But the things that we're doing now should slow that. So what do you think of those numbers, Jim? It's pretty scary. 
It's 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 frightening the way you describe it there. So uh, all of what we're doing is uh, is important. Doc, I'll tell you what we're going to do is this we're going to really important. Yep. Okay. We're going to take a break here. I'm going to disconnect the line, and Andrew's going to call you back, and we're going to see if we can solve this delay problem. Okay. So hang on just a second okay. here. It's Thanks. Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network. It is uh, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. And also on the web, you can find us at federalnewsnetwork.com. You can learn more about the uh, programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. Tech Talk Radio returns in just a moment. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Let me tell you what Stratford University has done in response to the COVID-19. I went through this math and it scared me. So we decided to go 100% online and 100% remote. It took us about one week to put everything in place. And on Tuesday, March 17th, my campus locations went dark and all employees worked from their home and all employees went to online classes. We purchased enough Zoom licenses. This is for um, basically for um, video communication. Uh, with with large groups we do, to handle all of our students and all of our staff. Now we have voice over IP phones at Stratford, so all the employees could take a phone from work, plug it into their home router, and if somebody calls them on their number at home, it just uh, their number at work, it rings at home. And if they make a phone call on that handset from home, it's like they're calling from Stratford. So we set up a completely virtual operation. We had a financial, virtual financial aid office. We've got a virtual library, virtual student support, virtual career services, a virtual advisor system. We plan to remain off-site and online until April 6th. 
and then we're going to assess the situation and we'll decide whether we need to extend it any further or not. Mm-hmm. Now, when the students and the staff finally come back to the school, we've got these thermometers where you just point it at the person's forehead, and to get in, you're going to have to pass the temperature test. And what I'm asking the students to do is take their temperature at home to establish a baseline temperature, because, you know, some people run right. a little bit colder. Sure. And they may they may look normal, but actually they have a temperature. So we're asking students... To take and staff to take their temperature while they're at home and establish a baseline, and if they do that, uh, and they're, they've got an elevated temperature, we'd have them just not even come in. So that's what we're doing. This is actually until I ran the numbers, Jim. I, mm-hmm. I I didn't take it so seriously until I ran those numbers. I said, man, we've got to watch it. And yeah. so I really do understand what happened. So as someone who's been monitoring this and has had to deal with this on a, a, a mass basis. What are you hearing about some of these these various um, estimates as to how long this is going to be? Or can you even make any sort of an educated, um, you know, I don't, don't want to use the word guess. Can, is there any sort of educated idea as to how long this could go on, in your opinion? It's, I mean, I mean, in the end, in the end, Jim, nearly everyone's going to get it uh, because we have no immunity. This is a new virus and we have no immunity. And so the question, so what you want to do is you want, you don't want everybody to get it at the same time. Right. You want them, you want to stretch it out. So, uh, so if you, if you could just change the doubling from every three days, every six days, that takes it out to, uh, instead of 39 days, or usually it takes it out to 60 days. So it would turn out then that some of the first people to get the virus would already have gotten better because it takes about two weeks to get better. So I think what we want to do is have social separation so we have the doubling rate occur, say, every nine days instead of every three days. Mm-hmm. And that would stretch it out enough. That's called flattening the curve, as they say. Right. And so people would be getting better and cured, uh, and then other people would get it, and it would it would stretch it out through the thing. So I, I think this – if we if – we, uh, if we if we flatten the curve, it will stretch out for three or four months. Because mm-hmm. you don't want it to you don't want it to end in a month. Right. We, don't, we won't have the hospital capacity. That's what happened in uh, that's what happened in Italy. Now here's the good news: if if you're in a company that'd like to go remote, uh, there are five companies that are giving free remote software out there. Okay. Mm-hmm. So take note of this. You know uh, because. We were fortunate because we've got we got all the technology at Stratford. It was no problem for us. Microsoft is offering a free trial of their premium plan for Team Chat. This trial will allow users to record meetings, take advantage of one terabyte of storage, uh, neither of which are available at the normal free version. Microsoft is making the extended premium trial available for six months. So companies, if you're a Microsoft shop, you may want to use that and have all your employees go remote. Google is allowing free access to the enterprise version of Hangout Meet, Hangouts Meet, for all G Suite and G Suite for educator users. That plan includes up to 250 users per call, the ability to record meetings and live stream capabilities. LogMeIn is making its emergency remote kits available for free for three months. Those kits were designed for nonprofit schools and health organizations that that uh, that initially, but they're going to make it available to anybody. Log me in remote work 
emergency remote work kits. Cisco is offering the free version of WebEx service with no time restrictions. In addition, they'll allow up to 100, meeting per, uh, 100 people per meeting, and they have the added toll-free dial-in feature with a 90-day license for businesses who are not already customers. And finally, Zoom is offering a free version of its video conferencing software, but the, current, the company's currently working to test its networks to ensure maximum reliability despite capacity increases. Stratford uses Zoom. We really like Zoom. We, we've got that. We've, we've sort of standardized that across the board. So I think companies can sort of take advantage of all of that quite easily. But there, and there is one problem, Jim, when people go remote. What's Cyber that? Cyber security. Yeah, that's right. Cyber yep. security. You're outside your company's firewall. See, what it, that's right. So, like, for instance, when uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, malware got into the Baltimore system, it was because people were doing remote access. You know, they were they were they were using the remote terminal feature of the uh, of, of the system, and they didn't secure it with good passwords. Now all of a sudden, we got all the employees are logging in to the main system through VPNs, and now there are ports that are going to be coming into your network from outside, and hackers are taking advantage of that. So you know, and and companies are having to switch so quickly. Maybe they're not getting it set up. Maybe they want to make it really convenient for the employees to log on just so they can do it quickly, but then they uh, they don't take care of all the security issues. And there, and there have been a surge of hackers who are targeting these individuals at home using uh, social networking. They'll act like their IT department to help them set up and say, let, let me use your, your password to log in and I'll, I'll, get, I'll configure your VPN for you. So there's a lot of social engineering going on now as people are trying to get used to the technology. And it is a real problem. Now, hackers appear to be targeting people that are most vulnerable. Data analysis from Italy indicates that companies with quarantined workers uh, who instructed them, their workers to work from home, were attacked. Signet, a New York cybersecurity firm, said that those workers were attacked. So listen. You need to go remote, but take care of your security when you do that. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. In addition, go to the Stratford University website, www.stratford.edu. Check out the programs. Tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.